Well, hello, all of you cats and kittens out there, and welcome to another brand new, spanking new episode of Phantom Talk. And you are joined today in this episode of Phantom Talk by myself, Al, also known as Red Lanyard, and also our editor-in-chief, um, our head honcho, um, Jacob Vance Hardesty as well. Um, so, Jacob, how are you today on this fine day? I'm I'm good. I I didn't know what we why did we do the Tiger King intro? <laughs> was that I, was that was it our go-to or is, or is it just because you recently have have received a new kitten? I was about to say, oh, I was about to say yeah, it's probably because of that. Um I did not watch um, any of Tiger King, so I was unaware that that was a thing. Um hey everybody, animal abuse isn't cool. But um <laughs> <laughs> but um, that is true. I do have a new um, little cat in my life. Um, her name is Atana, um, and she's beautiful and small and perfect and everything we hoped she would be. But um, but just like Zatanna and how perfect she is, um, another beautiful and flawless thing in this world um, is Star Wars. And that's where you have found yourself to- today because this has an episode of Phantom Talk is another installment of our Star Wars EU, or EU, review with me and Jacob. Uh, we do this every month, the Star Wars show. We talk about um, talk about the comics, talk about the books, talk about the games and the TV shows and the movies and everything you could ever want from a Star Wars podcast. Old stuff, new stuff, in-between stuff, stuff that hasn't happened yet. Um, if you heard... Whoa. Our episode on Attack of the Clones, we talk about things that should not have happened in the first place. It's great. Um, so um, today we are in the smack dab in the center of our special event for Star Wars EU, EU Review. Uh, we're in the Hotter Than Mustafar Summer event where for the three months um, during the summer, we're talking about um, various um, Darth Vader stories found in uh, the new comics. Uh, So we're doing uh, the new canon stuff all about our favorite tall, scary man in black armor, um, Darth Vader. Um, And so uh, this has been a blast. Um, So last month we covered um, the first two volumes of comics um, by in Hillen. Um, so so be sure to go back and check out that episode um, that we covered because it was a blast. This month, we're covering the first two volumes of the um, separate, but still canon, um, Charles Soule run. Um, so these are being written by Charles Soule. Art is by um, Giuseppe Comancoli. I believe I said that right. Um, I'm, I was going to roll with that pronunciation throughout the entire time, so yes. There you go. It's a nice name. I like that name. Um, mm-hmm. And they're a fantastic artist because the art in these books um, is great. Really so, um, yeah, so this episode is going to span um, issues 1 through issues 12, if you're a single-issue kind of guy um, or gal. Um, if you're into trades, like I usually am, that's the first two volumes of Charles Soule's run. Um, and hey, Jacob. Yes, sir. Out here. Um, speaking of issues, um, is there some new kind of project that you and possibly one of our compatriots is doing that has to do with 
issues or comic books or something, um, something like that. Am I getting that right? Well, my goodness, you are. You must be referencing the latest podcast segment on Phantom Talk of Brothers with Issues, where we have issues, and you might want some too. Oh, you know I do. <laughs> my goodness, uh, but yes, we are. We have started this new segment. For those of you who are mainly just listening to this and you haven't really had a chance to listen to our other stuff, uh, Brothers with Issues is our new segment. We're discussing primarily, at least right now, current big events in comics. So what we're talking about right now is the DC Dark Crisis event that's going on and the um, Avengers, X-Men, and Eternals crossover over in Marvel called Judgment Day, which we're going to be covering that sometime this week. Um, and you might be thinking, okay, well, they're just covering the main like comics featured in that. No, whenever you see those giant checklists at the end of those comics and you see um, all the side issues and everything that's being tied in there, yeah, we're covering all of them. Um, yeah, so so we so we we try to be um, concise with those episodes. We try to be around thirty to forty minutes. It rarely goes that way um it's kind of like the eu or eu we start talking and then all of a sudden just just keeps going so uh yeah so be ready to listen to some long ones especially on the weeks where a lot of books come out at once um but yeah we are we are covering all of them also on brothers with issues just real quick if you have any comic book questions or anything that you guys are wanting to get into or anything that even if you just want to know our opinions about something. If you're just like, hey, what do you think about this character? Or what do you think about this storyline? Please feel free to message us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, hit me up on my on streams, when, uh, on Twitch, what, anything. If Any way that you can contact us, let us know that you have questions for Brothers with Issues. And we will happily cover those in the opening parts of each episode. So even if you're not interested in the Dark Crisis or Judgment Day events... You've still got something to look forward to if you're into comics or if you're new to comics and want to know more. That's what we're here for. So please check out Brothers with Issues. There you go, for sure. Um, and if I can add to that plug real quick, as somebody who currently is not following the Dark um, Crisis event um, in any capacity, um, I've listened to these episodes and like they have still been just a blast to hear um, – of Jacob and Josh talk about just the utter insanity that that is crisis events and easy comics. Um, um, it's been great. So even if you aren't following along um, and reading the stuff as it's coming out, it is still a blast to just kind of get the gist of what's going on and kind of hear their commentary about it. So um, don't be afraid to jump in, even if you aren't um, hitting the stuff as it's coming out. Um. Now, um, now that we've got that um, administrative <clears throat> business out of the way, mm -hmm. um, we have got um, some interesting stories um, to talk about um, this month on our wonderful Star Wars podcast. So, as I said, first two volumes of Charles Soule's run um, of Darth Vader, um, to be specific, Volume 1, um, if you're into the trade paperbacks, is called Star Wars, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, Imperial Machine. Um, they kind of allowed uh, all of the subtitles to get away from them there. Um, and then Volume 2 is Star Wars, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, 
Agassiz's end. Um, so it's a mouthful. But um, so just to catch everybody up, um, this run, even though it came out, it released after um, Killen's run, um, which we talked about last month. Um, it does take place chronologically prior to that. So whereas Killen's run kind of followed um, Darth Vader and Palpatine following the events of episode four, A New Hope, um, this one really, I mean, issue one takes place just like seconds after the end of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um, so um, that's kind of chronologically on the timeline. That's kind of where we're getting dropped into. Um, and, um, I won't go into any details or anything, won't go too heavy into any impressions yet, but, um, first I will throw it over to Jacob real quick, um, and Jacob, just kind of talk to us about, um, what you think Charles Soule is attempting to accomplish um, with this run because, of course, mm-hmm. Darth Vader is one of those figures and characters who is, you know, the d- d- dominant force as far as um, the fandom goes. A lot of the most popular stories and mythologies from Star Wars center around Vader. Um, so to contribute to that, um, usually writers um, have some kind of central goal to reveal something about the character in mind. So, in your opinion, what is Charles Soule, a guy who knows a thing or two about Star Wars stories, uh, what is he trying to accomplish with this um, story, in your opinion? So, I, I am definitely going to get to that. However, <clears throat> before I do, I actually have an editor's note from last month. Okay. okay. Excellent. Um, which is wild, let me tell you. And I have to hang my head a bit. Um, oh, no. Because there was a point last month where I said that the Admiral, who opposed the Death Star and wanted to instead spend all the Empire's wealth on a fleet of Super Star Destroyers, that his name was Admiral Tagi, um, which you uh, so <laughs> which you so famously said was just stupid. Like I, I, I think I think you just said that's dumb. Like I think you, you just <laughs> like, there was there was no subtlety. There was nothing. You just that's stupid. All right, pretty stupid. I agree. <laughs> we actually got into a little bit of an argument about about the pronunciation of this character's name. Um, I did some digging, okay, and following that. I rewatched A New Hope. His name is never spoken. I so I did what anyone does when they want to go to a calm um, and well thought out source of of intellect and research. So I went to Reddit. Oh, and sure. um, <laughs> of course, of course. And um, what I have found out is that in the old radio plays of A New Hope. And in a few different like side stories of like audiobooks and things where where the character did show up, canonically, most people say that his name is actually pronounced as Admiral Tage. Or some people say Admiral Tag. Okay. So I am uh, declaring that I was wrong. 
excuse me. I, I, apologies. Excuse me. I, Jacob Vance Harsty, first of his name, editor in chief of the Fan of Correspondence, <laughs> was wrong about a Star Wars fact. Oh wow! I will, I will, uh, I will be either going to the wall or going into the unknown regions into exile and or Dagobah. T- take your pick. You know, just. Um, yeah. But before I do that, we have a podcast to finish, so <laughs> I am going to get back to. You. Hopefully, um, wherever you go to serve out your exile has hooked on phonics. Um, that's all. <laughs> that's all I hope for. <laughs> I, Al, I'm gonna be honest. I found that out. I would say roughly two weeks ago, and have have set on it since. Like there was a point I was like, I'm gonna message him. And I was like, no, I have to make this a public thing. You know, I have to, I have to let everyone know about this. So, um, that's for you. That's just for you. Uh, However, moving forward, so so Charles Soule, um, as a as a Star Wars writer and a, and a spe- specifically with with this run of what does he want to do? Um, so the first thing that I need to tell you all um, is that if you are reading anything Charles Soule, at least Star Wars related, there is a small little pocket multiverse that he is building within everything else. So every time you read a Charles Soule book, you it, it's it's like watching the Pixar movies to find Easter eggs of other Pixar movies. Um, there are certain things that are happening in the current like Star Wars run that's post Empire Strikes Back that reference this run. They reference even even the higher public stuff, which you're which you might be thinking, okay, well they're not going to reference higher public stuff in in Empire Strikes Back. No, because they're one of the huts lives to be like a thousand years old and still remembers uh, Chancellor So. From you know three hundred years prior, basically. Um, so so yeah, I just I just want to give you all a heads up that if you are reading a Charles Soule book, uh, a Star or a Charles Soule Star Wars book specifically, there will most likely be a reference to his past works. Um, for nerds like me who like to notice stuff like that, I love it. Um, however, some people. Uh, I have talked to some people who they do not enjoy that as much because they don't like the idea of having to read so many other books to understand things that are going on in this, which I don't, I disagree with that because you don't necessarily have to understand there's Easter eggs, but anyways, that's a whole other thing. Um, but what he's trying to say specifically with this run, however, um, so we talked a little bit, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, or the, or excuse me, last month or the month before. Um, there was a point where I talked about how mentally, as as a kid, I was always able to separate Darth Vader from Anakin, um, in the in the same sense that Obi Wan does um, in A New Hope when he when he says, you know, Darth Vader murdered your father. Okay, um, it was always very v- kind of difficult for me to think of him as the same person in in a lot of ways. You contrast that with this run specifically, like you get you get a lot of it in in Kieran Gillen's, but with this one specifically. Like that's that aspect is at the forefront of this is not just Darth Vader. This is Anakin Skywalker as the fallen Jedi when it comes right down to it. Um, like Al already said, you know, this is this takes place, you know, immediately after Revenge of the Sith. And there's to me, there's a lot of points where we get more of an idea of who Anakin is. In Revenge of the Sith, I think Re- Revenge of the Sith. I think 
the prequels do have problems. I'm I'm not going to harp on the prequels the, the entire the entire episode, but yes, they do have problems. Everyone knows that. Um, I think even George Lucas and the and the and you know the other producers and everyone else who worked on them understands there are problems with these movies. Um, to me, one of the primary ones is how quickly Anakin turns and how it just seems like it just kind of happens in a snap like that. This run, in my opinion, is attempting to build upon that. And to build upon the fact that this was a very quick, it was a very quick mistake, but it was a mistake that literally cost him his entire life. And there was no going back. Um, and that's, re- that's done really well in certain different, certain different areas that I do want to talk about later. Um, but I think that's kind of the mentality of, of the theme that of what he's going into is who is Darth Vader when he's still Anakin Skywalker. You know what I mean? Like he's not when when we see him when we see him in especially in, in Gillen's run at the beginning. You know, like right at the start, he is he's Darth Vader. He's the Dark Lord of the Sith. He is the he is the ultimate enforcer. He is someone that the moment he sets foot on the Tantive Four, you you hear a minor note. Like that's the that's who Darth Vader is. You know what I mean? Um. But with this, I think the entire point of that is how do we get him there? Because it is a prequel. Um, so I I think that's kind of what, what he's trying to go for is this mentality of really filling in the gaps of Anakin turning into Vader. Um, and it's just it's a really like I said, there's a lot of things I want I want to I want to focus on later. But I, I, you, I'm kind of assuming you just want kind of general thoughts at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I think that's a good kind of summary um, of what's going on uh, with these stories is it's very much, you know, we get to um, we get to see the struggle, essentially. We get to Mm -hmm. see the struggle from, you know, having been defeated on Mustafar, having been saved by Palpatine, having been reconstructed as this kind of half-man, half- machine brand new order of the sith and we get to see him um, go through the struggle trying to attain the power and the status that he has by the time we see him in a new hope um i'm gonna definitely see that as um as kind of the otif of of um of these issues um how we have is that we get to see him struggle to attain the status that we know this character to have um Mm -hmm. And a big part of that, um, especially in this first volume, which uh, we're going to focus on first, um, because that makes sense, is <laughs> it's just it's just a good way to do it. Um, is the the guiding force, right? The guiding hand, the the gentle gentle caressing of of the hips mm. of darth vader um done um done of course um by helpatine um so last month we talked about kind of the relationship that's depicted between darth vader and palpatine in hillen's run um kind of how um how that run almost kind of reveals as much about palpatine as it does about vader mm. um as far as revealing um, how Palpatine 
tries to have several different contingencies, how he's constantly trying to figure out what is the best um, um, insurance plan, essentially, for his rule, for his survival, for his um, his power as emperor, and how kind of revelatory um, those stories were as far as establishing who Palpatine is in the grand scheme of things in this new imperial era. Um in this one, we don't get as much Palpatine, but we get enough to remember that he he is still the one in the shadows. He he's the one at the end of the day mm. who's pulling all the strings, and we see this where basically the sequence of events in these stories is essentially just a a list of errands that Palpatine gives to Darth Vader. Right? Just like, so the first one, and we'll talk about it a bit more in detail here in a second. But I mean, he just hands him a list and is just like, okay, you need to go find a lightsaber. You need to extract the kyber crystal and force it to bleed to truly become a Lord of the Sith, which, who boy, that's that's some lore um, that we're going to explore today. Um, also, by the way, um, Here's a bunch of kids that you need to just babysit and also teach um, who who I've adopted. And, like, I'm not going to do anything with them at all. Um, So here, do this. I know this is quite different from the last time I told you to go take care of some kids. But you're doing it a different way this time. Uh, (laughs) I need you to do that. Um, there's, There's this old librarian i need you to take care of uh i mean it's just kind of like oh and by the way if you pass the costco then grab us some bread like it's just (laughs) it's just a list of errands that palpatine sends darth vader on (laughs) um and and we kind of see that in killen's run as well we basically see palpatine basically say hey vader go do this but that was very much to test Vader. Sure. In a lot of ways. Um, in this one, it it really does just kind of seem like this is a list of things Palpatine does not want to do himself. Yeah, exactly. He's just like... <laughs> like the, the lightsaber feels like the only thing that is like, this is your test. Everything else just seems like, I don't feel like doing this, man. I need you to take over. <laughs> exactly. He has, especially... <laughs> and it gets to the Inquisitors, where, like... Again, we'll talk about them a bit more in depth because that's a really, um, I think, important hook to yeah. these first two volumes is the Inquisitors. But when it gets to the Inquisitors, it definitely feels like Palpatine is just kind of like, oh, geez, well, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't expect these guys to be around still when everything went down. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll give them to Vader because I can't be bothered to actually teach anybody anything. They're still <laughs> <laughs> so so here you go later um here take these kids they're yours now um but um um gosh it really is like those huge evangelical families who have like 18 children and they're just like okay well the two oldest children are going to raise the rest of the kids because we don't want to do that that's what it feels like with the inquisitors and darth vader um anyway <laughs> anyway that being said, um, um, the first <laughs> the first item 
on Vader's to-do list <laughs> from Emperor Palpatine um, <laughs> is to go and get himself a lightsaber. Uh, because as we see at the end of Revenge of the Sith, um, at the end of the duel between Obi-Wan and Anakin, um, Obi-Wan defeats him. Spoiler alert for Revenge of the Sith. Obi-Wan defeats Anakin Crazy. <laughs> on the shores of Mustafar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, as part of it, before he departs, he picks up Anakin's lightsaber um, and takes it along with him. Um, so Palpatine asks uh, Vader, you know, where's your lightsaber? And when it's uh, revealed that he doesn't have it anymore, Palpatine is just like, well, you need to go get a lightsaber. Um, we are the Sith. We don't just go and find a lightsaber. We don't just hop on over to St. Vincent Hippol's and see what kind of lightsabers they have there. Um, we are the Sith, and we take our lightsabers. And you need to go take a lightsaber, and you need to to make it your Sith lightsaber. Um, now, Jacob, mm. I want to ask you. Okay. Just how hardcore is this storyline? <laughs> so, this... So, here's the thing. This storyline starts off very, very intense. Um... I mean, right from the get-go, um, because I mean, of course, the, there's there's something about the image of all of the lightsabers from the Jedi Temple being gathered up and then burned inside a smelter, and effectively the last remnants of those Jedi soul. I'm assuming that's kind of what we're supposed to take from that. The last remnants of those Kyber crystal souls, because Kyber crystals, as within the store within the storyline. Uh, within the within the the lore of Star Wars, Kyber crystals are a are a living thing. Um, of course, as Yoda always as Yoda says, the living force is within all of us. We luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Okay, so so imagine <laughs> that you imagine knowing that, and then the starting point is Masameda throws Yoda's lightsaber. Um, Throws Yoda's lightsaber, or one of them, as we have now, as has later been retconned, um, into this smelter, burns it, and then like the souls of those Kyber crystals like explodes in front of everyone, and it's it reminded me of of like a a less intense version of the of the Dracula scene from the opening of Castlevania. Um, that's mm -hmm. kind of what I took from that. Um, so, so that right there is a is an intense start, but then you get into probably one of the most brutal. Like once we get there, one of the most brutal lightsaber fights I've ever I've seen, and in, in, at least in the comic, um, you know, just it it just it gets intense very very quickly. It it, it just jumps up and it doesn't stop. Um, yeah, I just. And I, I will admit, this was my first time reading these. Um, I don't know if I told you that or not. Um, but this this was my first... So, I own 24 of these 25 issues. And that, and, and that will never not annoy me. Because somehow, I missed issue 3. Which, if you are reading these, you know that is the first full appearance. You see him in a cameo in the second one. But the first full appearance of... I'm kind of upset. I have to say his name first, but I'm, uh, this is what I'm ro rolling with. Yeah, Kirak, Kirak and Phila. Yeah, that sounds good. 
That, that's, that's what you ran with? Okay, all right. So, so Kirak and Phila is a very interesting Jedi. I don't I, I'm a, 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 apologies if I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Um, no, no, it's fine. You're exactly on cue. You're, okay, all right. So, so like you said, so Palpatine's like, hey, you need to go get a lightsaber. Okay, you need to hunt down your lightsaber because because like you said um for game of thrones fans the sith and the sith and proper proper lore are basically like the uh the iron islanders we pay the iron price for everything okay so so instead of you know going and finding kyber crystals in ilum or kashik or uh i'm blanking on the other places you can find kyber crystals um oh jetta um Idaho as well, I believe, is one of them. Just a, and you'd be surprised, man. But potatoes and kyber crystals is all they got. Um, yeah. but no, and, <laughs> instead of going and finding a kyber crystal and kind of becoming one with it, basically, and it being a part of your Jedi journey, your path, um, the Sith the Sith storyline is to take. So, so Vader has to hunt down one of the last few, one of the last known Jedi in, in the galaxy, because of course, as we as we know, there's a there's a decent amount of Jedi that actually survive Order sixty six, but the entire point of this storyline is that Vader's trying to to uh, thin the herd on that. Um, so that starts off with him finding. Well, excuse me. It starts off with Palpatine just like dropping him in the middle of a desert, and then Vader just destroying these guys with the Force, like. All of them. Just like, there's no survivors, there's nothing. Um, just because he's going to take their ship. Which, in fairness, I understand he's not Darth Vader yet. Like, I understand he doesn't have, like, the feared across the galaxy kind of thing. But if a man in black armor just walks out of the desert and says, I'm taking that ship, I, I, I don't care what kind of guns I've got. Like... That's kind of the situation where, you know, I'm going to be like, all right, maybe we should, you know, just let him take the ship. Particularly because, like, this is, like, he says that, and then he hurls this giant crate at a dude, kills him, and the other guys are immediately just like, let's shoot him. It's not, you know what, let's let him take the ship. Let's just let's just go about our days. Let's, let's live to fight another day, shall we? <laughs> I, admittedly, I understand that, that you know, we're we're supposed to we're supposed to do the whole well like like I said you know Vader's not Vader yet really but all the same I just I feel like there's I feel like there's a certain point where I'm just gonna be like this isn't worth it I'm not fighting for this um but from there he goes and he finds Kirak and Phila and he is going to steal his lightsaber and of course obviously to do that it's not just gonna be like hey I'm gonna have your lightsaber and then Kirak and Phila is gonna be like sure um but uh, so instead, he's like, "Well, now we have to duel, you know." And this is this is going to happen now. Um, it's, it's very it's much. A, it's very much a dark saber in the Mandalorian type thing. It like, is, yeah. You just kind of imagine him just being like, "Okay, you can have this lightsaber," and yeah, being like, "Well, no, that's not how this is supposed to." No. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> But 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 yes, that so the third issue where they do start fighting is the issue that I am missing. Um, it's not an overtly expensive issue. It is a really hard to find issue for some reason though. I have been through multiple multiple comic cons since then. This came out in 2017. I have every comic con that I have been at since then. 
I have looked at every Star Wars, every booth that had Star Wars comics to see if they have Darth Vader number three. Mm-hmm. I've been on whatnot. Nope. Uh, eBay has a, has some, but it's, at this point, it's it's almost been so long that at this point, I'm like, it's it's part of the thrill at this point. One day I will find it when 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 it is meant for me to find it, you know, and and, and to take it like the Sith I am. Um, <laughs> I'm not paying for it at all. I'm just I'm just taking this. <laughs> You're just gonna take it. That is that is a joke, everybody. Please don't steal things from your local comic book <laughs> shop. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Do do not steal from anyone, uh, particularly. Particularly comic guys, because they they count on that. Um, but no. Um, <laughs> so so then so you're like, okay, well, how is Vader going to fight him? Because obviously this guy has the Force. Well, this guy has more than the Force because this guy has like lived in exile for like twenty years just to hone his fighting abilities, which is. Like, one of the coolest things I've ever heard. <laughs> like, he, he chose the path of the Force where it's 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 a newer idea, but it's literally just, like, he went away to remove himself from the entirety of the Temple and everything else that was going on in, like, the politics of the Jedi just to hone his, his fighting abilities. And so when Vader gets there, it's not just, like, he has a lightsaber and, oh, he can use the Force – like he has set up this entire, I guess, like this entire like structure within this planet because what it looks like if if you if you if you haven't ha- haven't seen the books or haven't had a chance to look at them yet, it basically looks like he has there's like this city built into the side of this like cliff face, pretty much. And Al, am I am I correct in explaining? At least that's what I interpreted that. Uh, it's kind of like a spaceport, pretty much, and. The entirety of the cliff face, except for the very bottom part, is basically Kirak and Phila's, for lack of a better term, like, battle station. So, if you are, if you are there, like, he has a trap set up for you. Um, there is this droid that is with him that, unfortunately, I can't remember his name. Um, but Eryx. there's... What is it? Erex. Erex. Okay. So, Erex is with him, and he is basically, like... Like the world's like deadliest Alfred, um, because like he's constantly like I'm going to support you, you know. Like, I, do you want me to set off this trap? You want to set off that trap? And eventually, like Kirak is like, no, I want to face him head on. And so they do have like an actual duel. Um, now you might be thinking, okay, well, how are they going to duel if only one of them has a, has a lightsaber? Well, Vader rips off the uh, arm of Erex, which has a what I'm going to assume is like some semblance of a vibroblade, um, which isn't a lightsaber, but it can withstand the fi- uh, the the power of a lightsaber. So to to a certain extent, anyways. Yeah, it uh, kind of um, it kind of reminded me of um, of like the double ended um, staffs that the Agnagard droids had in, and, uh, in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Uh, yeah, that, that that makes a lot more sense actually. Yeah. So, so yeah, so he has something similar to that, and they are dueling, and and it doesn't it doesn't go well for Vader because once again he's not really Vader yet. Um, he is. This is the first time that we've really begun to understand that the the line of he's more machine now than man really was affecting him at this point because he just 
for lack of a better term, like he just got the it got this armor. He just got the new arms, just got the new legs. Um, so he doesn't really know how to work any of it yet. So he's not really who we think he is yet. Um, and Kira basically takes him down pretty easily and like starts chopping away at him, which is really kind of cool because like there's parts where you see like like there's one really cool moment um that as we've already said uh Giuseppe uh Comuncoli I think is how we're saying his name um or their or their name excuse me uh, possibly I'm not sure um they have done they did an exceptional job with this piece where there's a scene where like basically everything covering his leg is gone so you see that like the bottom part is just this this um metallic leg but then the top part is all like the skin that is still there from like his thigh and it's just a and i know it's, it's a small thing but it was such a kind of a cool thing to see like the inner workings of how vader is actually like surviving pretty much um which it's sad obviously um but it was kind of cool to see <laughs> um which then leads to the coolest part in in my opinion the coolest part of the entire book so Kirak throws him down this cliff after Vader has already thrown um, Eric down a cliff as well, and he thinks he's done. He he he's like, okay, we took care of that dark side user, you know, and um, now I'm gonna have to go kill Palpatine. Okay, that's that's Kirak's whole plan. Is he's like, well, I took down the apprentice, now it's time to go take down the master. Um, but when Vader gets down there, <laughs> Eric's is still like he's broken, but he's still kind of living. And so he starts like telling him, he's like, you know, you're never going to win. The light's always going to always going to defeat you. And Vader, in one of the most brutal yet awesome things I've ever seen, starts taking pieces of him and then applying them to his own armor to rebuild himself like at the bottom of this cliff. Like he has literally fallen like 40 stories and, you know, it is just slowly just rebuilding himself with the force. And then, like, through, so, like, through the force and then the power of hate, you know, as, as Sith do, um, he climbs back up this mountain and then, like, floods this entire city, which they really kind of gloss over for some reason. They really don't go more into that. Um, I don't know if you noticed that, too, Al. <laughs> um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's yeah, you know, the city's <laughs> on fire. I don't know. Things happen. Um <clears throat> Space fights are happening. It's fine. Space fights. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, and then Vader, Vader goes back up and he, uh, he ends up stealing his lightsaber. And um, I don't think he's dead. I don't think Kirak is dead at the end of that. Um, me personally. Because um, I think he's going to show up again, if I remember correctly. Once again, this is my first time reading these. Um, but I don't, yeah, yeah, I, me, 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 per, I, <laughs> and I know that's interesting. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was pretty convinced he was dead, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just, I, there, there was something telling me that there was something else in his story. Um, 100% could be wrong, but, uh, but I don't know. I, one thing I will tell you, uh, talking about Charles Solo, how he connects everything, so the family that is working on that ship for Kirak um, shows up years later <laughs> um, for uh, to help out Luke Skywalker 
um, during his current during the current Star Wars run, and I'm talking years later. Um, but once again, we'll we'll go more into that uh, more so in this and when we talk about the second volume because there's something that, that happens in the second volume oh. that uh, that really go, that really goes into that. Which once again, it's really cool how it connects everything. Um, but yeah, so so he steals uh, Kirax lightsaber and then he has to do. Uh, no, he, he doesn't bleed it yet. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, or no, does he? Forgive me. I, I I read I read these each separate. Like I read the first six, and I read the second six. Um, yeah, it's okay. For uh, so okay, so what? So so after that, he um, does he go back to Coruscant after that? No, no. He goes from his duel to um, to Mustafar. That's right. Yeah. Yes, because uh, because he's like that's where you're going to have to bleed it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So Mustafar, we start to learn more about the lore of Mustafar and we start to learn more about the, the idea of bleeding a lightsaber. Um, this was something that had been referenced in like passing and a lot of, in some of the older like EU books, um, particularly in the older public stuff. Cause I think, I feel like it's referenced, I think in KOTOR 2, if I remember correctly. Um, once again, could 100% be wrong about that one. I will readily admit that. Um, but the concept of how do Siths get their get the Crimson Blades. And so the concept is, is that they have to bleed their, their lightsabers. They have to purge basically all light within themselves and corrupt this Kyra Crystal um, into, into being a Crimson Blade. Blade, because otherwise the Kyber Crystal can be any other form of colors of yellow, blue, green, purple, um, and other colors. Um, but um, those are just the primary ones that we have seen in canon. Who knows what we'll see eventually one day. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's kind of the whole thing is that he so he has to go to Mustafar. Because apparently Mustafar is, we learn, um, is very deeply connected to the dark side of the Force, um, which makes a whole lot more sense for, that's why Vader builds his castle there. Um, that's why, yeah, I'm going to reference it in, in Rise of Skywalker, that's why the Sith Wayfinder is there. Um, it just, it, we kind of tie in a lot more with Mustafar uh, in this comic, which I, I actually really enjoyed. Um, once I remembered that he went to Mustafar because <laughs> for some, for some reason I could have sworn he was on Coruscant at that point, but, but then of course he has to go back to Coruscant. So I guess I was just skipping that part, um, mentally anyways. Um, but yeah, no, I just really, I don't know. I, I thought this whole thing, this, this whole opening, this whole opening arc, I thought was really interesting just with this idea of, Vader having to purge himself of all light, basically, um, which is drawn exceptionally well in one of my favorite parts. I can't remember the first issue that's in, but there's a point where Giuseppe Comunculi writes Vader almost like an internal monologue because there, there's no real, there's no dialogue typically in the, in these pictures, um, 
but there's panels where it's just this basically this dark being sitting like in meditation and just any it he's surrounded by this darkness and the in these red colors and, and this there's just it's very menacing looking but surrounding him in certain small little bits here and there every once in a while there are what appears to be blue butterflies that are just these small little hints of light and what's interesting is that each time you see him throughout the throughout these first two arcs there's one less light um and it's once again you know it's for some people that may not be that subtle uh or that may not be subtle enough i really enjoyed it comics are a visual media obviously and i really like that aspect of Mm. you know how are we showing that that anakin is literally purging himself of his past life like and like internally and i just really like that aspect of you know he is slowly bleeding out the parts of his life one by one by one um this starts when he is bleeding uh the the kyber crystal uh um it's just a really interesting just a really interesting aspect of the scene that that visual because that's something that's not going to leave me anytime soon like if i think of darth vader particularly in the early in the earlier parts like you know in in obi-wan kenobi or now or rogue one or even new hope that's the mentality i'm going to have of him is that he has literally purged everything about his past life like he is 100 percent a dark lord of the sith at this point um so yeah, I just I really love that first arc, and I really like that in the, that ending there. And then of course it it does set up for the next arc a little bit with the uh, with the Grand Inquisitor, but we'll get to that, and I'm assuming in a moment. Yeah, um, um, yeah. I mean, this whole first volume or first six issues, however you choose to read it and experience it, um, it is very much. Um, it's very much set up as, um, especially as far as the duel goes with um, Enfila. Um, I got a lot of Hirasawa vibes. Mm, yeah. In a lot of way, out of that duel, just um, out of the idea of just like this pastor who's kind of exiled himself. Um, he's kind of adopted this um small community um that he has because we see him when he goes to um on the ship port and stuff to get his ship i mean the engineer knows who he is and they have some kind of rapport with each other um even though there are comments of just like you know you don't come down from your temple very often and and things like that but um in this idea of this of this invading antagonist showing up and the call for the samurai to to face this antagonist and to figure out what this challenge essentially means for him and things like that um it was a very um, it was a very classic tale in a lot of ways um out of those um old kind of um japanese samurai-esque kind of films and um stories and things like that so it was very cool to see that. Um, and um, 
I've got some things <laughs> that kind of have have stayed on my mind um, after I read um, about this duel um, as it pertains to K-Rock and Phila, because, like, he's almost an anime character. In some oh, yeah. Ways. Like, he, <laughs> like, I just kind of, just kind of imagining him, like, kind of like having some kind of undisclosed issue or beef with, like, um, Ace Windu on Coruscant, because Windu is set up to be, like, an extremely um, experienced and talented fighter as well with the lightsaber. And I just kind of imagine, like, you know, Ace Windu is, like, on Coruscant, and he, he leads a bunch of battles and things like that, and, like, um, it has to deal with, like, all of the diplomacy and, like, the administrative stuff. I mean, Hirok over here is doing his own thing, and he's just like, oh, Mace Windu, while you, while you f- f- filed travel expense reports, I was studying the blade. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> like while you were tasked with babysitting the younglings while Master Yoda was away, I was studying the blade, and just, <laughs> and just that kind of thing. Um um, and it's like, <laughs> it's hilarious in that way, but something that's kind of stuck with me about this character is that we learn that, um, as you talked about earlier, he's taken a barrage vow, where he's kind of stepped away from the council, he stepped away from the Order of the Jedi, to focus himself and figure out what his path is, what his calling is from the Force, uh, it kind of reminds me of what we learn about the way seekers in the High Republic um, in that way, where um, they kind of step away from the organization side of the Jedi Council to just kind of seek their own way to pursue and understand the Force on their own terms. And I kind of think about it like that. And what bothers me about this character is he's really cool um, he has his really cool fights. You can tell he knows what he's about. Um, but you have to kind of wonder, like, what does this really say about him and his purpose in the context of the Force? I mean, like, are we expected to... I don't think we're prompted to think that, like, his calling for the Force is, like, supposed to be some kind of self-sacrificial thing so Darth Vader can get his lightsaber. Like, I don't think we're supposed to understand it that way. Mm. Um, But it kind of, I don't know, it kind of asks some uncomfortable questions if you're trying to get into the philosophy or in some ways the theology of what the Force is to the Jedi. Um, it kind of feels like Iraq kind of hot the shaft from the force here because it kind of does come off as, oh yeah, your purpose was to go hang out here um, and not save any of the Jedi who were killed in Order 66 and then eventually you will be pissed by Darth Vader so that he can 
have a lightsaber. I mean, it kind of feels like that's what the Force had to tell him. And for Kirok, that just kind of sucks. Like, um, it kind of, it kind of paints almost a an unkind depiction of what the Force is if you aren't this uber important figure in the Force, right? Like, um, I don't know. It brings up some questions about that that, like, I'm not entirely settled on. And um, you could be right. This character could pop up again sometime in the future. Um, I'll go ahead and finish out this run and and see if he if he comes up again. But I mean, it. I don't know. It suggests some kind of weird things about what the Force is to people who aren't a Skywalker and who aren't Obi Wan and who aren't you know these other important people to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of brings up some questions about that. Um, well, if, if if I may, yeah, sure. Um, so, because me, me and someone else were talking, me and another friend of mine were talking about about this. Um, with it, 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 I I love the fact that in 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 my life, I I I am so well known as one of the Star Wars guys that people just talk to me around about random stuff about this, <laughs> um, particularly about like the nature of the Force. Um, you talk to other people about Star Wars than me. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I've been cheating on you. Um, no, I. Um, <laughs> you think you can trust somebody? Yeah, I know, right? Um, I feel about you right now about probably how Kerok felt about the Force when he was getting choked by Vader. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> So you, so at that point you have to, you have to start asking you have to start asking the questions of is there, man I I did I did not think this is where this this podcast was going to go but at that point you have to start asking yourself about the questions of about you know is it predestination or is it free will for for the force, um is there is there a grandmaster plan or is it just that the force lives in everything and knows that it needs to be balanced basically um so that's really how you have to ask certain questions um to me so the and the reason that my friend was asking about this is he hated he hates the idea of being able to cut yourself off from the force um because he and he, and he even made the statement he's like you know because he even brought up the yoda quote he's like yoda says that the force is in all living things so how can you cut yourself off from what is essentially life? And to me, the way that I take that is that the ability to use the force and the ability to and the ability for the force to go away is two completely different things. Um, to me, when you cut yourself off from the force, you're cutting yourself off from it's kind of like. It's like if you work, like say you're working. Uh, I, I guess I, I would use like the gym as as like as like this instance. You know, when you're when you're staying in the gym, you're constantly going back and back to it and everything. And you're you have a routine. You're able to do more. You're able to run run farther and faster. You're you're able to lift more. But if you cut yourself off from you stop going, and then all of a sudden you try to go back, that's when everything becomes more difficult. So, I kind of look at the ability to use the force in that sense. Now with this, of what does the force want? And like as as a living being, what does the force want? 
you know, to guide the universe, that's something different. Um, I don't necessarily think that you're too far off when it comes to this idea of of did Kirok kind of get the shaft here? Um, but at the same, but at the same time, would it have been a whole lot better if he was at the Jedi Temple at the time? Um, to me, I kind of, I kind of view it the way that he made that vow and the way that he speaks about the other Jedi. I kind of view it as, you know, this mentality of like that's kind of the decision that he made, and. You know, whether the for whether the force was like an actual living being and actually and actually knew that these things were coming is something something to be interpreted for you know years to come. Um, I mean, even when we look at something like like Re- in Revenge of the Sith, you know how Yoda and Mace can't see that Palpatine is the Emperor the entire time, or that Palpatine is Darth Sidious the entire time. You know, you would think that the force as a living being would be like, hey, we kind of need to kind of need to do something here but then you have but then from there you of course you have the idea of okay well the dark side of the force was clouding everything so i don't know like i'm kind of i don't necessarily think that like darth that like darth vader going to fighting kirak and killing and and killing that whole uh, I just reread it uh, or just looked at it again. Um, it's not a it's not a, a cliffside. It's a dam, and he opens up the entire dam, um, and then floods that entire city um, while throwing Kirak in it. And for for some reason, I thought Kirak landed somewhere. Um, I don't think he. I think he did land somewhere, but I think he was already dead. I, th- I think he might be right now. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but no, like I don't, I don't necessarily think it, that was like the will of the Force, but I think it was more so Vader going against the will of the Force. I mean, because even like I said, just just re rereading this and, and looking at this again, um, he because I, I had completely forgotten he has that vision when when he first takes the lightsaber to Mustafar. And if you really want to talk about, you know, the will of the force, I kind of take that vision where he's, you know, uh, for those of you who haven't read it, the the vision is basically that he takes the lightsaber and goes and fights Palpatine. And then when he kills Palpatine, he goes and he finds Obi-Wan and he basically has Obi-Wan kill him. Um, so, so to kind of put everything at rest pretty much, but he turns away from that vision and literally says, I refuse. This is all there is. And to me, I think every motion that he is making while he is Darth Vader is something that is going against the will of the Force as it as it is. So, and I think that's well, that's why it's so important that Luke and Leia come up the way that they do, and that they are the ones who are able to bring him back and help bring balance to the Force and Return of the Jedi. Um, so I don't, I don't know, I don't. I don't necessarily think that like here I got the end that got the the short end of the stick here with with you know the living force being like ah oh, no he's fine he'll just he can he can die and then you know that's how Vader gets his lightsaber yay I don't necessarily think that's the way it was unless you're just calling the living force Charles Soul because at that point then yes it was um, <laughs> Charles Soul is the living force um, but. <laughs> But I mean, for me, I just I think it was one of those. I kind of I kind of like the idea that 
the living force wants everything to move forward, but the entire point is, of the Sith is that they are working against it. Um, kind of in the kind of in a similar vein as to uh, as how um, Morgoth and, and Sauron do things against against uh, the rest of the Valar and the Silmarillion. Um, I don't know. I just I like that idea that it's it's simplistic, but I kind of like that idea that the evil thing that the good thing just wants things to go forward, but the evil thing is constantly working against it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. That's the way I, I take it personally. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting, he's an interesting character and he asks, he asks a lot of interesting questions and he does a lot for kind of expanding, um, the lore um, of the Jedi as well, because again, I can't, I can't help but think that um, this idea of the Barash Val was somehow um, very much connected to the idea of like the of like the waste seekers or yeah, sure yeah um, yeah waste seekers um, in some way that, or the other. Um, uh, however, that direction of influence worked um, in Charles Soule's mind um, when he was thinking about this kind of expanded lore of the Jedi Council. Um, but, um, I mean, he's an interesting character for sure. Um, for sure. But um, now we are introduced to um, um, another significant um, piece of lore concerning... Um, the force and force users um, and all of that um, within this era. And that is the Inquisitorious. Um, and as I read through these, I realized that um, these volumes are really a pretty good kind of um, introductory text that someone could read before they will. Uh, before they watched the Kenobi show on Disney oh, yeah. Plus, because yeah. um, it very much establishes what Darth Vader has been up to um, for yeah. a while after Revenge of the Sith, and then it also kind of introduces the idea of the High Inquisitor, of what the um, Inquisitorious is, how they came about, what Palpatine is kind of trying to use them for, um, for sure. And, um, and so... Um, and so we can talk a little bit about them. I do want to get to um, some more of the of the Eden potatoes of the second volume. But one thing I do really appreciate about how the um, Inquisitorious is introduced here um, is a couple things. Um, I love how the hierarchy of power um especially among like the sith and like the dark side users i love how that is established and how it's pretty consistent over time because um um small spoilers for um the star wars rebels animated show um the um inquisitors <laughs> show up a lot in that show um and Darth Vader also shows up in that show. Um, huge spoiler, I know. Darth Vader appears in the Star Wars project. Um, and then, like, um, and without getting into any, like, real spoilers, there are other dark side users who show up as well. 
Um, and I remember very distinctly that through various fight scenes, both in that show in, um, and now in the Kenobi show in these comics, um, they're very careful and very consistent to show that, like, yeah, the, the Inquisitors, like, um, they used to be Jedi, um, either Padawans or Knights or what have you. You know, they know how to use the Force. They know how to use a lightsaber. You know, they're tougher than your average, you know, Stormtrooper Joe off the Death Star. Um, but, like, the power distance between the Inquisitors and Darth Vader, even this early version of Darth Vader, is made very clear. And it's just like, okay, yeah, like, the Inquisitors are going to play their part, but, like, the real guy on the scene is Darth Vader. Um, and that's held yeah. very consistent um, in this comic, where um, Darth Vader has a brief duel with the Grand Inquisitor. Um, Darth Vader wins and is basically just like, Hey man, I was testing you. I just kind of wanted to see what you were capable of. I could have beaten you way earlier than what I did. Um, and Palpatine shows up and confirms that. He's just like, oh yeah, yeah, you did fine, but Darth Vader could have easily <laughs> killed you. Um, I'm, I'm Palpatine. I have no horse in this race. Uh, <laughs> I'm just the man. Um, <laughs> And so um, I, I fought a tiny green dude and won. I never need to pick up a lightsaber again. Uh, <laughs> and so um, I really appreciate that. I think that's really cool how that is kept consistent <laughs> as far as like on the hierarchy goes there. Um, and, and the other thing I think it's important that it showed is that the Inquisitors very much are former Jedi who for one reason or the other um, in various stories and projects um, the individuals are explored a bit more but for one reason or the other these are former Jedi who were who became disillusioned with the Jedi Order either the things they were teaching or the things they did or the people they encountered in the Jedi Order for one reason or another they they lost their faith in what the Jedi were. Um, and they stopped believing in what the Jedi were supposed to be. Um, that's kind of a recurring theme we see throughout the Clone Wars, is that as the Dark Imperial era approaches, we see the Jedi be kind of a, a shell of what they once were, um, especially now when we're comparing it to like the High Republic stuff. Um, so I thought that was really interesting to show that, like, it almost kind of gives Palpatine some semblance of oral high ground, almost, because it's kind of saying, like, um, look, these aren't people that, like, I stole from their families and, and tried to indoctrinate. These are former Jedi who already had given up on the Jedi Order. Like they were, they were already primed and ready to go for the dark side. I just happened to be the one who showed up, um, and I think that's kind of an interesting thing about Palpatine, and, and it's an interesting thing 
um, about the Inquisitors is that um, is that they weren't just people that Palpatine kind of stole away and twisted and indoctrinated at an early age. Um, they were people who who realized that that the Jedi Order was not what they thought it was, and I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to show about that. But um, yeah, um, Jacob, any um, um, any thoughts or ideas you want to share about? Um, how the Inquisitorious um, is introduced in these comics. Yeah, so the the interesting thing about the the Inquisitors and the Inquisitorious um, is that first off, they we knew that they had to clarify. They obviously had to show the the four that we see in Rebels, mm-hmm. or that we have seen in Rebels by by this point. Um, we do get two other new ones: uh, the sixth brother and mm-hmm. the ninth sister. Um, the ninth sister, of course, shows up in Jedi Fallen Order. And she does. She does. And however, the poor sixth brother um, literally loses an arm to Darth Vader at one point. Um, and then when, and then when the Grand Inquisitor asks him like, "Why is it necessary for him to lose an arm?" He's like, "He will never forget the. He will never forget loss." Now, and I was like. Shit, like I mean, <laughs> I mean, okay, <laughs> that's a <laughs> like, like, <laughs> imagine you're training at work, <laughs> and, and someone is just, and like you know you lose an order or something, and then someone just cuts off your hand, and then it's like you will never lose an order again, will you? <laughs> it's like that's super real. I recall when I worked um, at Subway and I asked my supervisor um, if technically if you could toast the seafood sub. And she was just like, well, go ahead and try it. Um, and, and I tried it. And the restaurant smelt like seafood for the next three months. And the supervisor was just kind of like, well, now you won't ever have the thought of if you can toast the seafood sub, now will you? Ever again. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. It's, it's the exact same thing, you know? Um, I literally thought that was that's where it was going to end with, like, someone threatening to cut your hand off. I'm not going to lie. I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, no, I, I really like the Inquisitors because I really like this idea even even though now I can't look I almost wish we had talked about them before before you before you said what you said earlier about I got these kids I just need you to watch after watch out for them you know just kind of do your thing just just raise them all <laughs> um, because because you know you get to see you know I mean the uh, oh which one is it is it the fourth sister and the fifth brother I guess mm. Because the because the second sister is Trilla, right. um, third sister is Reva. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming the fourth sister is the one we see in Rebels, correct? And then she also has that's uh, she has a small role in Obi Wan Kenobi now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So good. so we see the two. So we see we've seen the two of them already. Um, they kind of follow. Uh, they're in season two, and uh, so we kind of know a little bit more, a little bit about them already. But just, I, I really like the idea of seeing all of them like together, like training and stuff like that. Um, kind of skipping ahead a little bit, I really, I really liked the uh, the ninth sister, um, 
Uh, yeah, so much so I'm actually kind of upset that we don't like. I would almost read a Ninth Sister miniseries. It's um, <laughs> pretty because I, I, in all honesty, if you told me that they were going to do a a series just about the Inquisitors and about how each of them fell from the Jedi Order, I think that'd be a really interesting series to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's not because there's not a single one of them that isn't interesting at, le- at least to me. Um, of the four that we really get their backstories of what happened to them in, you know, Reva and Obi-Wan Kenobi, Trilla in, uh, in Jedi Fallen Order, the Grand Inquisitor, you kind of, you, the Grand Inquisitor, you get a lot, you get a lot in this actually. Um, but I would, I would like to see like a direct adaptation though. Um, you know, that's, and you get to see it, you get to hear a little bit about the Ninth Sister, but not, 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 not enough for me, in my opinion. I, I want to see more. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really like to know more about how each of them fell from, fell from the, from, from the Jedi Order. Because what we have kind of seen in, I would say, a, a lot of stuff post, post 2015, post the Disney, post Disney taking over, um, a lot of the stuff that they've really tried to kind of go towards with some of the comics, um, even to the sense of it's even brought up in Obi Wan Kenobi, of uh, a uh, very, very briefly. But the it's almost it's almost like we we want to dance around the fact, but we also kind of want to address that the Jedi were were really kind hearted kidnappers, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, not not every single one was that way, um, but for for a good portion of them, like like more more than you would want to more than you would want to know about. Um, a lot of them were this child is strong with the force. I'm taking him to Coruscant, or I'm taking her to Coruscant. Um, you know, and that's not that's not great. Um, but like there's there's a, even a point there's a point in this I think it's in this one or it might be in the, it might be in the next there's there's a point during Charles Soule's run where the Grand Inquisitor talks about um he talks about how um, he was already taken from one family and all he wanted was more knowledge uh he because because in his in his mind I think I think he says something to the effect of you know I was taken from my family at such a young age that all I wanted to know was what new family was I being brought into, uh, speaking about the Jedi Order as a whole, because of course the Jedi Order, you know, it's it's brothers and sisters is is the is the is the mindset, um, but which in the funny in in one of the most unintentionally funny scenes, or maybe it is intentionally funny, um, Jocasta New is just this. Terribly rude librarian <laughs> and refuses to let him read um, all of the all of the all of the different archives, and because of that, he just becomes disillusioned with this idea that got out order. And in his in his mindset, he's like everything is a lie. They are hiding so many things that we don't even know about, and that's kind of what's leading him to. That kind of is what le- what I presume is what leads him to become become the Grand Inquisitor, um, which is really interesting because it's because I also want to know how did he become a temple because he's a temple guard, like he is he is one of like four there was only like four of them in the in at a time like it, it's kind of like 
um, well, it's kind of like the Secret Service in a, in a lot of ways. Like when one of when one of them dies, like they are they are their replacement is is already co- is already being like uh, groomed. Basically, uh, no, that's not the word. Um, <laughs> um, being trained, trained, excuse me, trained to be you know, the temple, a temple guard. So that's an interesting concept that his entire life was basically already set out for him, even from such a young age. But then that obviously would hurt his mind when he was like, but why can't I understand why this life was chosen for me? So I, I don't know. I really, I really like that aspect. I really like that. They are. I like that the inquisitors as a whole, everything they symbolize is the failure of the Jedi. Um, even more so, like, I don't know, like, I would almost say even more so than Vader himself. Strictly mm-hmm. because, you know, with with Anakin, you definitely have, you know, with 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 Anakin, you definitely have, he is, you know, the failure of, of, a, lo- of a lot of different parts of the Jedi Order. But he even says in Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's like, I'm not your failure, Obi-Wan. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. You know, Anakin is fully aware of the choices that he made, at least 10 years after. Um, but with the Inquisitors, you almost get this idea of a lot of them were forced into this life. Um, of course, with the third sister, it's a little bit different, but, you know, we'll we get <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really like the Inquisitors. I think they're really interesting villains. Um, I've heard some people don't like them because it's just more Sith. Basically, and I'm like, well, no, they're technically they're not actually Sith, which is a whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I I really like them personally, and I and I think I like I said, I just really like the symbolism of they are literally the Jedi's failure come back to haunt them, but they're to haunt what's left of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, the Grand Inquisitor's character um uh, it was really interesting, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him. Um, perfect segue as we talk about um, kind of the central conflict in in volume two, um, which I alluded to earlier. Um, Palpatine um, has a a librarian that um, he wants Darth Vader to take care of um, because he can't be bothered to do it, mm-hmm. but. Um, <laughs> And so that brings us to, oh boy, that brings us to Jocasta New. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> Jocasta New, who is a master in the yeah. Jedi Order, everybody. Yes. Um, Jocasta New, for any eagle-eyed viewers out there, um, <laughs> has a role in um, in Attack of the Clones, uh, where Obi-Wan um, goes to the archives and is just like, hey. There's a planet I'm trying to find, and I can't find it. And Jocasta New is just kind of like, oh, well, if it's not in my archives, then it doesn't exist. <laughs> I guess you're just a crazy person, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then she walks away. Um, <laughs> and Obi-Wan has to go to Master Yoda um, and interrupt his busy schedule and just be like, hey, Master Yoda, um, that librarian you appointed um, was kind of a piece of work and refuses to help me in my endeavors. So I guess I'll come talk to you <laughs> and interrupt class as you bring up um, the future of the Jedi Order and ask you about this planet that I can't find. 
Um, because Lord knows the head librarian isn't going to do her job and tell me about it. Um, so that brings us to Emperor Palpatine. Um, he has a list of um, of both confirmed and suspected survivors of of Order sixty six. Mm. I don't think it went into how Jocasta knew escaped Order sixty six, but I really wish it did because I'd be curious to know that. Um, so, um, one of the highlighted names, a name that is of utmost importance um, to Emperor Palpatine, um, is Jocasta knew. And uh, Darth Vader is sent out um, to find her, bring her back alive to Emperor Palpatine, and we find out that what Jocasta knew has been up to since Order 66 is she's been preserving the archives um, that she has smuggled out of there. She's been um, dictating um, philosophy about the Jedi, about the Force, um, important things to know. Um, into various holocrons. Um, and basically, she's trying to establish the foundation of a new Jedi Academy. Um, is what she's trying to do because she she has placed her hope in that a new generation, new generation of Jedi will eventually rise up and take things back from the Sith. Um, that's kind of what she's placed her hopes on, is building up a foundation to allow that to happen. But of um, particular interest to Palpatine, um, and also kind of um, reminding everybody about um, the events of Jedi Fallen Order, um, is that Jocasta knew um, knows where a record of all Force-sensitive, not yet kidnapped um, children are <laughs> in the galaxy. Um, <laughs> And so um, she knows where that is. She actually returns to Coruscant to obtain that information. Um, and Palpatine really wants that info. Um, however, Darth Vader kind of has to find that out on his own because Palpatine chooses to not share that info, share that info with him. Um, so, Jacob, yeah, um, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Tell me about your thoughts on Jocasta New. I've got some thoughts on Jocasta New, but I want to hear, um, I want to hear yours first. So. <clears throat> one of the interesting aspects to me about the empire taking over and it's 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 just it's right there it's right in the forefront of, of this of this story arc um is this idea of the great history and archives of the jedi order of thousands of years Thousands of years of of history falling in the hands of the Sith. And possibly being destroyed or, you know, being rewritten um, in a in a large sense, it is a in my in my opinion, I I'm taking it th this way because that's it's kind of hard to not to not make the correlation between the empire and the, and Nazi Germany pretty much um, for anyone who has not studied any of their history. Um, Hitler's regime was notorious for just taking art and just destroying it, burning it. Um, obviously basically, basically anything that was not 
German propaganda, pretty much. Um, I can't forgive me. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that w- that was like known to be lost. But it's one of those things where it's like there's there's so many records of things that were in Germany that now we have no idea where they are. So there are some people that are like, well, maybe they were smuggled out and they, they were resurfaced. Maybe they were destroyed, you know, and it's kind of lost to history pretty much until they do National Treasure 3. Um, of course. But, um, <laughs> um, um, but uh, that's kind of an interesting concept to me in switching into this into Star Wars is that we already know that the we already know that the the empire was meant to be kind of a direct correlation between between of the of Nazi Germany but now we have this idea of how much art and artifacts and history is in there so what does the librarian of the Jedi order do so i really like the concept that somehow she makes it out of the temple and before she does anything else she's like we have to make sure that parts of the history will always be saved or will, will always be safe for, for the next generation of the Jedi. Um, I also really like the concept that she was just like immediately just like, look, we're done. Like we, we screwed this up. We, we don't have a shot, but maybe the next generation does. Um, I, it's, it's, it's sad because, because, you know, it's, it's sad because she feels, because obviously, you know, it's, that's a very hopeless kind of thought is that we have no chance, but, there's also there it's it's almost like it's it's simultaneously hopelessness and that small glimmer of hope in the back of it though where you have the you know one day someone will rise up and, and will and will take this all back for us and they will you know they will set things right they will set the you know, the force back in balance um i really like that aspect Especially, especially because it does connect into later comics where, mm-hmm. where, and and it's really how you it's, it really all it fills in the gaps of okay how did Luke actually learn anything, right. <laughs> um, you know nothing nothing against Yoda's you know wonderful like weekend retreat, um, on Dagobah but how did Luke actually learn anything, um, and that's where that's where that comes in is that you know between. Between the journals of Obi Wan Kenobi and the archives that mm-hmm. Jocasta set up, you know that's how Luke was not only able to learn, but presumably that also connects directly to the original Jedi text that we see in the Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so that's that's an interesting concept to me. Is is of of her like the one thing that she's that she is dedicated to. Is the preservation of history, um, and I know that of, co- that of course you know, obviously you know, l- l- like you said, she's ridiculous in episode two. Like she's one hundred percent ridiculous, um, and even in this, she she's ridiculous. There's a point. So the of course, like I said, the entire point of the the Grand Inquisitor is that he he hates Jocasta New because she would not let him read like every book, basically. Okay, and there's a point where he's alone in the library and he's reading stuff. And he's like, this is drivel. It's nothing, you know, and, and stuff like that. And she is on the balcony, literally about to escape. Like, no one knows she's there. She she is home free. But she sees him disrespecting the books. 
and she literally jumps to the table in front of him and draws her lightsaber. It is like, get your hands off of those. Just, I, I personally love that concept. I know it's idiotic, I do, but I love that. I love that she is so dedicated to to the preservation of this history and this literature of the Jedi Order that when someone that she deems unworthy, which... I mean, she's, it's it's literally the ultimate gatekeeping, but someone that she deems unworthy of having this knowledge, you know, she's like, I cannot even stand the fact that you have even touched these things. Um, you know, and then, of course, then, you know, her her last major act in the Jedi Temple is to... Um, is to delete everything, delete the entire archive. So it's so in 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 a sense, you know, we may not have all of it, but you will never have any of it. Like they're like, and and of course she has the knowledge. She's like, you know, there are, there are the key parts are spread throughout the galaxy. You know, the key parts will be found one day by by someone else, but you all will never have any of it now. And I I, I don't know. I I like that because in in a sense she has that victory. Um, I I don't know. I I just I liked her arc. I did. I I know that Lucasfilm New is a ridiculous character. I I can one hundred percent understand that. Um, I know that the sassy librarian uh, aspect of the Jedi Order may not be something that we necessarily needed, but it's something that I'm glad exists. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's I. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue that. Her character isn't isn't well executed because it she is her arc is very complete. It makes sense for that kind of character and things like that. Um, as I was reading this, I had a distaste for Ocasta New, um, and that is because it's not just because of her role um, in Episode Two, which is um, completely ridiculous. But um, but when we get the insight um, from the Grand Inquisitor about, um, you know, um, when I was a Jedi, um, I I requested to access various volumes and things like that, um, and um, I got denied. She denied me several times, and. Pairing that with what we know about his character from Rebels as well, I mean, this this wasn't just some, like, 10-year-old Padawan who was just like, I, I want to learn about the, about the Force demons. Like, it was like, <laughs> it, it was, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a very talented um, Jedi Knight. He went on to be like a temple guard. Like he was, he would have been a a pretty well respected member of the order. Um, and um, seeing her interact with the archives and interact with the various volumes and hearing her justification for some of the things she did, um, you know, I kind of had the experience as I was reading it of just like, oh my god, like I I've known people like that. Like, I've had, like, Sunday school teachers just like this, who, like, if you ask the wrong kind of questions, they're just like, ah, well, don't worry about it. Like, focus on this other stuff. Um, And, like, like it can be. It can be very 
it can be very frustrating and it can be very discouraging. Um, and when you have people who, for one reason or the other, are gatekeepers of things that you care about um, without offering any kind of explanation as to why they're acting that way about it, um, it can cause a lot of frustration and it can cause a lot of disillusionment um, with that thing. Um, and so I've um, I very much had that kind of reaction to her character. I know that's entirely a me thing. I know that's very much me kind of projecting my own experiences into this fictional world, um, which like, I don't think is a wrong thing to do, but like it's important to be able to acknowledge your biases um, in that way. But um, yeah, I definitely repeatedly ha had the feeling where she was talking or the Grand Inquisitor was talking about her of having the feeling of just being like, well, man, like I, I had people like this in my life and like, I kind of understand. I mean, yeah. like I never had the thought of just like, well, I'm going to go home and dream about killing you for not asking, <laughs> for not answering my question about where the devil went after he rebelled. But like, <laughs> I never went that far with it. But um, it was one of those things where, like, I could kind of, like, understand um, at least a little bit where those kinds of feelings and ideas were coming from as far as the, as far as the frustration went uh, with that kind of um, attitude. Um, um, so, yeah, um, that being said, I mean, I'm always down for, for the types of characters who are, like, older men who are badasses. I think that's a great character trope um, <laughs> of, of older female characters still being able to like throw down and kick ass. I think that's oh, yeah. great. Absolutely. Um, um, and that part was awesome for sure. But um, um, yeah, it was kind of a weird one for me um, with this one. Also, it kind of cracks me up. Um, so whenever we do one of these episodes, if there's ever a character I don't know a ton about, um, I kind of like review some of the extra um, info on them that's out there. Um, and one of the lines about Jocasta New and her Wikipedia um, entry is just kind of a, a casually thrown out line that says um, that uh, the Jedi on Coruscant um, took note that Count Tuku and Jocasta Nu uh, were often very friendly with each other. Um, and that just kind of is just like, um, was Count Tuku like having a fling with a librarian <laughs> in the Jedi archives? Because that's kind of hilarious if he was. <laughs> hey, hey do you want that? Do you want that tea? That's kind of, that's kind of awesome. I do kind of want that tea. Um, <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> so there is a deleted scene in Attack of the Clones where – I hate this already, but go no, on. Just hang on. <laughs> There's a deleted scene in Attack of the Clones. It's on the DVD. In fact, I think it's on Disney Plus even. Um, if you go to the extras where the statue that Obi-Wan is looking at when she goes up to talk to him is Count Dooku because the, the entire point 
of Count Dooku's role in that movie is that he was supposed to be this kind of mysterious lost Jedi, pretty much, until you finally see Christopher. Excuse me. Until you finally see Christopher Lee um, towards the end of the film. So there was so in that scene, you kind of get this instance of Jocasta New kind of being like talking like it, it sounds like he's talking about a lost lover like it really does it sounds like he is talking about someone that that was simultaneously her best friend and a part of her past and maybe part of her future like it, it sounds like he's doing it sounds like he's doing that um even in this comic so there's a point where there's a hidden archive inside the main jedi archives there's a hidden room where Jocasta is hidden like a there's another starfighter back there. Mm-hmm. The uh, the helmet of uh, tar, of the Tar Vizsla is back there, which is really yeah. cool. Um, there's a lot of really cool like Easter eggs in this. One of them is a separate sculpt of Count Dooku, <laughs> which, oh my God. which means there were two sculpts of Count Dooku, and he made sure that one of them was hidden from other people. Um, so, so Charles Soule is in on is in on the joke, um, and yes, there there was a lot of rumors. Like, like my my actual hope is that the Tales of the Jedi cartoon that talks about younger Count Dooku, I hope there's a point where he and Joe Castanew hook up, like one hundred percent. I, or or at the very least, that's hinted towards, because just getting that confirmed in canon would be one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time, um, particularly because. There are certain ridiculous things about Star Wars lore that just annoy Josh to no end, and that would be one of them. And it would bring me such joy to to just know that. Um, so so yeah, so so yes, the, yes. Uh, Count Dooku and Jocasta New, um, you know, um, do new forever, if you will. Um, do new forever. <laughs> <laughs> Do new forever. Well, everybody, we have our hashtag for Star Wars EU or you. <laughs> hashtag do new forever. <laughs> oh boy, man. Look, man, you you have brought up Star Wars theology twice in, in this podcast. Let me let me have this. <laughs> I, can't be- I can't believe that that came up, and we aren't even talking about the book about Count Dooku. That just came up organically. In a oh, yeah. Different... yeah, no, that's good point. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, hashtag do new forever, everybody. Um, <laughs> moving on, because I'm going to I'm gonna move us on from that. Um, <laughs> so, um, so as we come to a close on the second volume, uh, uh, which also kind of um shows a close on this episode um uh, because that is the material uh, um, that we've covered for this one um we see after the business which Jocasta knew um is taken care of um darth vader um, um destroys the holocron that has um that information about um the um yet to be kidnapped children of the force um and um and we see him go on – it's kind of interesting. Issues 11 and 12 are kind of a – it's adventures of Darth Vader and the Inquisitors in a way. They are. Um, they are. <laughs> um, and, like, it's fun. It's fine. Um, um, I will say that my favorite part of these last two issues 
um, very simply is just this idea that's been hinted at so far from mm-hmm. the uh, from the other ten issues, uh, but this idea that the Empire does not know really who the hell Darth Vader is, right? <laughs> On a whole, so yes. um, so like we see this come up a few times. You know, we see um, the clone troopers. Um, they see Darth Vader pop up. And they're just like, ah, it's a Jedi, shoot him. Um, when Darth Vader goes and, and raids the transport that has the information um, on Hinari, uh, um, they also are just like, oh, it must be a Jedi, we need to kill him. Um, and then we see with uh, these closing two issues that some kind of high-ranking officials in the Empire have even taken out like bounty hunter contracts on Darth Vader um, because it's really unclear who or what Darth Vader is. His status within the hierarchy of the Empire seems to be very unclear. Um, and a lot of Imperial officers are kind of upset that this kind of rando, he could be a droid for all they know, um, is out here trying to stunt on on the matters of the empire um and so i really like that about these last two issues um it very much feeds into um the scene in a new hope where um we at the classic very brave line of of you know we don't need your antiquated religion uh, when we have like the true might of the empire um i love the idea that um and you've already brought up the parallels between um the empire and star wars and um hotsy germany so i'll piggyback on that i love the idea that darth vader and his team of inquisitors is basically seen as like the occult task force that Hitler had. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, just like this um, small group of Nazi, like academics, um, essentially, who like study matters of the occult to like see if they could give any kind of, kind of advantage to Germany in the war. That's essentially how the officers see Darth Vader and the, I mean, the Inquisitors. Um, it's just kind of like this weird kind of mysterious sect of the Empire who does like weird stuff with the Force and they don't really understand it. And um, and that also brings me to one of our um, last segments of the podcast, um, which is what is our hypest scenes or hypest events from the material. Um and I'll go ahead and go into mine, and then I'll give it up to Jacob to talk about those last two issues and the moment he found the hypest as well um, from these two volumes. But um, mine is the end of volume two, where um, Vader, um, he doesn't really know who the officers are who put this bounty on his head, and his solution is to just kill five random officers. Um and um, that to me is so a hype because it's such a perfect um, description 
of who Vader has become over these 12 issues of comics. Um, from the very end of Revenge of the Sith to now, we've seen him bleed his kyber crystal. We've seen him turn his back on, on the light side of the Force. We've seen him... Um, we've seen him track down and hunt escaped on Jedi. And now we see him really wield the hatred and the ruthlessness that characterized the Sith as a way to kind of bring them under his power and just be like, you know what? I don't know who it is, but um, every time this happens, five people who may or may not have anything to do with this are going to die. So <laughs> that's my way of stopping it. Um, that to me is just a perfect example of the journey that he's already um, had over these issues of comics. Um, and that's just great to me. But I'm going to toss it over to Jacob. Um, the last two issues, and then um, your hypest moment from uh, these two volumes of Charles Souls comics. Yeah, so <clears throat> so his last two issues, first off, this is the most that we hear from the, from the Ninth Sister. Yes. Which, the Ninth Sister is a empath, correct? If I remember correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so she's really interesting because, <laughs> because since she is an empath, like she even talked, like there's a point where she's like, you know, like she's obviously she doesn't say this to him, but she's like the, she's like Vader doesn't even know himself. Like he's, she even says the quote, dying to fight, dying to die. Like, and, um, I cannot think of a better way of wording Darth Vader in, in the 19 years between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's just absolute perfection, and and I just I love her character. I think she's great. She gets like maybe ten panels in two issues here, um, mm-hmm. but she's great. And every she's a scene stealer in my opinion. Um, and I just I just want to see more of her. Um, but no, so so like you said, yeah, Vader gets to like he he's he's hunting he's trying to hunt down these Jedi, but turns out that he's been sold out, and these are all like just these bounty hunting contracts and everything. Um, I really like the storyline. I I will admit I almost didn't read these two. Um, because for those of you who don't, once again for those of you who are listening at home, so I've been reading these on Marvel Comics Unlimited. Um, because I have all the issues, but of course I have them in, in boxes and everything, and I didn't. I was reading them at work, so I was like, it's just easier just to have them on my phone. Okay, mm-hmm. so um. But that also means that I don't that I don't entirely know the volumes that we're covering. So, so I was like, okay. So I, I know I need to read at least the fur the first like ten, because there was a part of me that was like, okay. Is it just the is it just five issue arcs? And the way that five, that number five ends could absolutely be the end of that arc, because um, hmm. because no, issue six really just kind of leads into the second volume really. And the way that 10 ends could absolutely be the end of an arc. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there was a part, there was almost a part where I was like, I don't know if I need to read 11 and 12. Fortunately, I looked it up and then I was like, okay, I'm going to read 11 and 12 real quick. Um, because it is a very self-contained story. Um, but I, but I'm, I'm with you, Al. I do like that. The entire point of this is, like I said, this this is really th- these two issues were really the culmination of everything Soul had been setting up for the better part for for really a year at that point, of who is Vader within the Empire and who who is Anakin who is Anakin now, 
Um, how does he truly become Darth Vader? And that's what these issues are doing. And that's what this, these last two issues are solidifying is that his place in the empire as the destructive force of the emperor himself, basically. Um, <clears throat> and, and I gotta be honest, man, like some of these comics side characters, like I want to, I want to know more about the two random masked figures that are talking about setting up like bounty hunter hits on random high ranking Imperial officials. Like, cause here's, cause here's the thing. Like, I, I know that the, the whole point of this is, well, they don't know who Vader is yet. They don't know how important he is. All right. But here's the thing. If he is constantly seen with Palpatine, how do you think that's going to go? Like, <laughs> what do you think? What is your best case scenario here? If you do kill him at this point, it's Lex Luthor creating doomsday in, uh, in Batman versus Superman. It is. What are you going to do if this succeeds? <laughs> Like what is where what is your next step here? So, um, which carries over into the Greg Pak Darth Vader, which we will probably we may cover next year. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, um, but no, like I, I I'm intrigued to know more about that aspect of that storyline of of these guys just trying to put out hits random random ass hits on the high imperial officials. Um, but like you said, I did like the um, I did like the ending part where, you know, he does choose the five at random. I thought that I was like, oh, that's kind of intense. But before it is one of the most unintentionally funny panels, really pages in in Star Wars comic history. And Al, I'm gonna. Tell me if you read it mildly this way, or, or if if it, if this doesn't strike you funny. So he's trying to think. Uh, he's trying to figure out, like basically, like for lack of a better term, he's like, "Why don't they fear me?" I mean, it doesn't sound exactly like that, but that's basically kind of what what the crux is. Mm -hmm. And he is sitting and meditating, and then. It's almost like, like I almost read it as like when when the Grinch decides he's going to steal Christmas in the Jim Carrey version, where he's just like, "Huh, that'll work." And because what happens is he thinks back to when he choked the dude, the choked the dude out in issue seven, I think six or seven, yeah. and then he's like, "Huh, that should work. I'll just I'll just choke a couple of Imperial officers out." <laughs> and for some reason, like that will never not be funny to me. Um, of just like him just trying to figure out how to make you know these these workplace confrontations basically <laughs> go in his favor. Um, so yeah, no, I just I love that. Um, but no, my but but I just I really like this. I really like this ending. It's it really just it's a good like. It's a good end, end cap on this on these first two arcs. It sets you up for it, it does it could be you could stop reading here, but if you wanted to keep going, obviously you can. Um Soul mm. went to twenty-five. I'm gonna go ahead and read the rest. I like I said, because I I never have actually finished them all. Um I want to because I because it's really good. Like Charles Soul is a fantastic writer. We haven't we've talked more about these stories themselves. We haven't really talked about the fact that just Charles Soul is just fantastic. Um uh, What'd you say? He's the man. I mean, he, he just... <laughs> he's like, I mean, if you ever see his his name on really just anything, but especially on a Star Wars book, just it's going to be worth picking up. Um, 
It's true. The only the only Star Wars thing that he's done that like I was not completely blown away by was um, his Rise of Kylo Ren, and like even that like it isn't bad. It just it wasn't as good as as everything else he's done. It's like the only <laughs> it's like the only real hit against it. Um, plus, once again, so Rise of Kylo Ren. So all the Knights of Ren have been playing into Crimson Rain. Um, I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, I think you told me that. Yeah. So yeah. So he's building. So once again, he's building onto other things that he was already they already previously wrote. Um, but but I do agree with you. Like Rise of Kylo Ren, it's not the best, but it's still it's worth it's worth a read. You know, so it's worth checking out. Um, but anyways, no. My so my hypest moment though. Um, I, I already mentioned it and it's just, it's nothing else really topped this for me. There was just, there's something about the concept of Darth Vader effectively being thrown off a mountain, literally pulling the pieces of a droid near him to fix his suit, like with the force itself and then climb that mountain again and then just be this unstoppable force you know that's because to me like when you want to get peak darth vader that's peak darth vader right there like that that mentality of just you know pure evil overtly difficult to stop you know like and and also like annoyingly resourceful like, you know, like throw, I threw him off a mountain after like I I nearly cut his cut his uh, leg off and severely hurt his left arm. OK. And all of a sudden he's just like, no, you didn't. No, just here. All right. Here we go. Too bad. He threw that. Too bad. That droid fell down here with me. You know, that that's basic. That's basically what happens. So that's my hypest moment is just him going back and just. You know, it's 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 not the you know, oh, this is kind of a weaker Darth Vader. No, it's this is Darth Vader. This is Darth Vader. Like that's the to me that was the that was the ultimate moment for me. That was the hypest moment for me of of this uh, of these two volumes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good choice. That's a good choice for sure. Um, now we come to our close, and we're gonna close the same way we close all of these episodes of Star Wars EU or EU review. Because uh, one of the side goals of this show is that we are um, consolidating uh, what we've come to call our grand canon, our grand canon of Star Wars. Since we're discussing new stuff and old stuff, we're deciding um, if the material that we review is going to have a spot in our own kind of cobbled together grand canon of Star Wars events. Um, now, um, I don't think there'll be any surprises on this one since we've just kind of, um, gushed about how much we've enjoyed um, these two <laughs> volumes, but, um, I'll go ahead and start. I'm going to say that I will easily accept, um, these volumes in the migraine canon. Um, as I said, like, um, I think these are going to be comics that I revisit, pretty much every time um, I go to watch like the Kenobi show or like even episode four, like they're just such good. Um, it's such a good set of material um, for you to understand 
who Darth Vader is to understand where the Empire is at at this point in time and just really prepares you for those um, character journeys. Um, so so it gets into the grand canon for me. Uh, Jacob, how about you? <clears throat> so for me, anytime that you are writing a Star Wars book, this is this is just something that I have I've kind of stuck with when it when it comes to and really just comics in general. Okay. If your goal is to attempt to add something to an already established character to to elevate them even more than what we already know them as, then in my opinion, you have you have succeeded as a writer. You you are you are succeeding at least in the in the initial thought of what you need to do as a writer. That's what these comics do. That's what the Kieran Gillen run did. That's what Charles Soule's stuff here has done. And spoiler alert: what we cover next, what we cover next month, one hundred percent does that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because, like you said, these are these are not books to replace your ideas of Darth Vader. These are not books to replace your ideas of Palpatine or, or of where the where the galaxy is in between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. It's to it's to elevate it. It's to it's to show, you know more about these characters, you know, and to, and to dive further into who they are even more so than what we already knew. And that's why these books succeed so well. Um, and that's where, and so, and that's also why this is 100% part of my grand canon. Like I, like to me, anytime I see his lightsaber now, my, one of my early, one of my first thoughts is going to be, you know, like, he built that thing after someone had put a hit on him and he was super pissed off. And so he just started, he was like, I'm just going to take the Kyber crystal. I'm just going to start building a new lightsaber around it. And just, because that's, 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 that's kind of how that happened at the beginning of issue 12. (laughs) Because, because his, because, I apologize. I need to kind of explain a little bit of that. If if you haven't, if you just listened to us, if you just listened to us recap these books and you haven't read it, um, which good on you because that's because we've kind of jumped all over the place. Um, so in issue eleven, when when he gets when they start attacking him after, like I said, they put that hit on him. When they start attacking him, there's a point where the lightsaber that he had, which was Kirak and Phila's, like the saber hilt and everything, um, it it breaks. And so he grabs the kyber crystal with the force and just kind of puts it on his belt and then chases after the bounty hunters to figure out what's going on, like who put that hit on him and so on and so forth. So on the way back to Coruscant, um, I, I don't think – yeah, no, the ni- while the ninth sister is flying the ship, he's just back at this desk just, just – I. I would say whittling away, but I know that's not the proper term. But <laughs> but now now my further hope is that he actually whittled like <laughs> that that entire like like whatever like Durasteel soap or, or their Star Wars soap he has like that's that's what that's what that hilt is made of. <laughs> so right. yeah, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> but anyways. Um, Every time, but every time I see that now, I'm gonna be thinking of that scene. I'm gonna be thinking of that scene where he's just sitting at that desk, just with stupid people attacking me, breaking the lightsaber. I'm gonna rebuild the whole thing myself. You know, like that's gonna be the mentality that I'm gonna have every time. And 
Although for some people, like like, like I know I'm, I'm making it sound like it's a joke, but that is a cool scene. That that is, mm-hmm. is a cool thing. That you know, it's it's Anakin. He's he's the he's the engineer. He's 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 always been good at fixing things. Always been good at building things. You know, and to take that mentality into the movies and into other books and the, basically anytime you see that lightsaber, you're going to remember that aspect of it broke and he fixed it because that's what at his core, that's what he is. He broke something and then he fixed it. You know, I know there's a lot in between obviously, but that's the core storyline of Anakin is something was bro- is that he broke something and then eventually he fixed it. It took a long time to get there. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> a lot of lot of uh lot of lot of things to get through at, at least uh, 24 years to get there but he he did you know so uh so yeah so yes it is 100% in my grand canon uh, yeah that's great um uh, and with that scene uh, yeah it sounds kind of f- funny when we talk about it like that but like anybody who's ever been around a truly angry person or has been themselves in a truly angry mood (laughs) knows that that sequence of events, because like, he's like fixing his lightsaber and then like, um, they sabotage his ship codes. Like attacking his ship (laughs) and like, and like they like crash land on Coruscant and he has like a, a separated speech bubble where he's just like, I have had enough of this. <laughs> Anybody who's been like really angry before or has been around a really angry person is that that true like hateful anger that comes from like just being like quietly, calmly, like seething in hatred is like is like when the anger gets super real and that's really what vader is doing in those scenes is that like things are not going his way at all he's like trying to salvage stuff some imperial asshole is attacking his ship and like you just kind of hear it in his voice of just like okay I'm going to go talk to Palpatine and this day is going to get better. <laughs> I'm I'm done with this. <laughs> and that's and that's great. I mean that is that is a Sith. You know, it's not always like it's not always Earth's ion like screaming and in rage. Sometimes it's like the very quiet just like ooh. This is what we're doing today. <laughs> um, but um, no, that's great. Um, um, everybody, f- thank you so much for hanging out uh, um, as we talk about on these comics. Um, Jacob and I can can go a lot of different places when we talk about this kind of stuff. Um, so thank you so much for hanging out with us while we do it. Um, hey, y'all, if you like um, Darth Vader, if you like super cool hype Darth Vader comics, um next month in august um we are closing out the hotter than mustafar summer event on our star wars eu or e-review show um with one of the hypest comics i've ever read yeah just in general not, um, not even star wars just in general 
Yeah, so uh, we are covering um, the comic book event um, called Vader uh, Down. Um, so chronologically in the comics, this is going to pick up right after the second volume of the Darth Vader comics by Aaron Hillen and the Star Wars comics uh, by Jason Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um those first two volumes of each of those titles are going to culminate into this um, cross-title event called Vader Down. Um, I know it's one of Jacob's favorite comic events ever. As somebody who doesn't really enjoy a lot of huge comic events, it's one of my favorite things in comics ever. So we're going to be covering that one. Um, It's going to be a doozy. There's going to be a lot of hype stuff that happens in it, so we hope you and uh, join us for that as well. But in the meantime, Jacob, thank you uh, for joining me today. Everybody out there, thank you for joining us and hanging out with us. Um, remember that fandom is for everyone, or as my friend Josh likes to say, fandom is everything. Um, so, <laughs> so if you want to know what that inside joke is from, go listen to episode two of Brothers with Issues. Yep. But, um, thank you so much, everybody. Please be kind um, to each other uh, because it's hard out there. Um, so, so always uh, speak and live in kindness, and we will see you guys on the next episode. <laughs>